Hi, and welcome to the RCH Kids Health Info podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr. Margie Danchen, paediatrician and your host for today, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Dr. Lexi Frydenberg. Welcome, Lex. Thanks, Marg. Today we are chatting about seizures in kids, something that can be quite scary for parents to witness and to know what to do. It's certainly something that many parents have encountered, so we'd like to tease out the facts and do some myth-busting today. From the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. So Lexi, talking about seizures today, it's certainly something that all of us as paediatricians and as parents may have encountered I definitely recall when my first child was around two years of age and I picked him up from a nap and uh, he actually had a seizure in my arms. He had a very high fever and I just remember that panic and that terror that I felt as a parent not really knowing what to do. And I think even as a parent, if you know what to do, it's still very frightening to see your child like that. And I think one of the difficulties that parents often talk about with me is How do they manage their own anxieties around their child having a seizure? How do they let their child have some independence, particularly as they grow up? And a lot of parents ask me the question, is my child going to have brain damage? Is this something that's going to cause permanent problem? We've got a brilliant guest today, Dr. Andrew Kornberg, a much-loved paediatric neurologist at RCH. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks very much, Lexi. So, Andrew, what is a seizure? So, a seizure is uh, an uncontrolled activity of the brain which may come out in different ways in a child. So, it could be generalised stiffening and jerking and unconscious, but there can be a variety of different other seizure types, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And it's really uncontrolled uh, electrical activity in the brain which then comes out in these sorts of symptoms. It can be sort of generalised activity with sort of the arms and the legs, but also it can be just one part of the body, can't it? Yeah, so essentially it could be focal, uh, so essentially one part of the uh, body, an arm or leg or one side may be uh, active with jerking, um, and that really helps us define or work out exactly what's going on in that child. Um, there are different seizure types uh, and uh, there are sometimes staring, there are sometimes uh, the big seizures, the grand mal seizures, which we just mentioned, or focal seizures. And each of those help a neurologist or even you know, a, a paediatrician work out what may be going on. And sometimes they can be very brief, can't they, or, or quite prolonged? certain type of seizures can be brief. Seconds uh, can be occurring many times in a day. Uh, And sometimes it's very difficult for parents and even uh, doctors to actually work out whether that activity in that child is a seizure or not. But um, the history is paramount. Uh, It's very important. And, uh, you know, I tell families getting videos of events are really, really helpful uh, to doctors to try to work out what's going on. Yeah, I was going to say that often, you know, when parents come to us, that question of, well, was that a seizure? And sometimes it's very hard to know from the description and just how useful it is if the parent has been able to record the episode on their phone and, and show it to you. Because as you said, there's just such a wide spectrum of how they can present. And especially those staring episodes, you know, kids, 
kids frequently stare into space or, or are noted to do that in a classroom. So, you know, is that a seizure or isn't it? And Maggie mentioned when she was t- talking about her own son um, that he had a fever with his seizure. So can you tell us a little bit about the difference between what we call febrile convulsions, febrile seizures, or seizures without fever? Sure. So I think we've got to really uh, separate uh, a single seizure uh, versus a seizure with fever, which could be a febrile convulsion, which I'll just talk about in a moment, or in a child who has epilepsy, which again we'll talk about, where a fever may be there, but that may be the trigger for the seizure. So that's not really a febrile convulsion. The usual um, uh, time when a febrile convulsion happens, the definition is different depending on which group you look at, but somewhere between six months of age and six years of age with uh, a seizure that... uh, can again be very different, but typically the generalised seizure uh, at the onset of um, uh, the fever is the usual time, uh, and there has to be a fever of above 38.5. That's by definition. So six months to six years um, with a fever, typically at the start, and never having any seizures without fever, because that's a completely different thing altogether. So Febrile convulsions are very common in children. It's uh, estimated to be somewhere between 1% and 3% of children uh, will have a febrile convulsion fulfilling those criteria. Um, That does not equal epilepsy, although some children may have epilepsy where it's coming out or develop epilepsy later on. And of course, from our point of view, as doctors, paediatricians, when we see a child who's had a febrile convulsion, our main aim is to try and work out what's caused the fever. So it could just be a runny nose or a cold. It could be a urinary tract infection. It doesn't matter. It's more about identifying the cause of that fever and then treating that rather than the seizure itself. Because as you say, they're often quite short-lived 100%. What you have to be sure about is that that child does not have something serious like meningitis or uh, a bacteremia or, you know, an infection in the blood. Parents often think, well, my child's had a febrile convulsion before. How can I prevent it? It's very hard to prevent it, isn't it? Many children may have a single febrile convulsion and then never, ever have another one. Uh, Typically, it's about 50% of children will have a second febrile convulsion. And it really does depend on the age that you had your first febrile convulsion or whether there's a family history, other things that you actually look uh, for. But you can't prevent infections. Uh, It happens. And uh, giving medications doesn't really prevent a febrile convulsion. It's, I think, uh, after someone's had a, a child's had a febrile convulsion, you're a bit more um, alert uh, to the uh, next febrile convulsion, but there's nothing you can really do to prevent mm. it. And another common myth, I think, is that people think they should put the child in a bath if they've had a seizure and they've got a fever. Everyone focuses on the fevers being um, the important thing. Uh, putting the child in a bath or tepid sponging, all those things are not necessarily going to be preventing the uh, seizure. And in particular, during a seizure, you would not be putting your child in in a bath. What percentage of children with febrile convulsions then go on to develop epilepsy as older children or adults? 
Okay, it's a very good question. So if we just step back and look at febrile convulsions, you can have a variety of different types. So we call them simple febrile convulsions or complex or complicated febrile convulsions. And simple febrile convulsions are usually a generalised tonic-clonic seizure, so a grand mal seizure where the child may be stiff and have some jerking. They're usually short-lived, less than five minutes. Um, There are no focal features. It's not like it's happening on one side or the other and the child uh, recovers. And it is at the start of the infection when the temperature is going up. Complicated or complex febrile convulsions are defined by being more prolonged, uh, more focal or something different, not the simple generalised seizure. And typically, if there are other developmental concerns, that again falls into the complicated group. Their risk for later epilepsy at most um, is... uh, somewhere about 5%. Okay? So most so, children do grow out of febrile convulsions, yeah. even those ones that have a more complex um, seizure. I think it's really for us to talk about with families when someone comes to see us and giving them the information that they need to know. But the bottom line is that most children who have febrile convulsions or even recurrent febrile convulsions, even if they are complicated, will not go on to later epilepsy. Okay, Andrew, let's now talk about some of the other causes of seizures, you know, things like potentially a low blood sugar or low oxygen, perhaps a knock to the head, developmental behavioural conditions. How do you think about those broader causes? Now we're really talking about separate to fever. When a child presents with uh, a seizure and whether it be with a fever or without a fever, what we do as neurologists and paediatricians is try to work out what is the risk for later seizures. And with the febrile convulsion group, the children who have typical febrile convulsions, it's pretty easy to work out. Uh, In the other group uh, where they may not have a fever, then you have to work out what is the risk for a second seizure or a third seizure, or does my child have epilepsy? That's the question that families are usually asking. And so how would you define epilepsy then? When you say epilepsy, what do you mean? Okay, so again, the definition changes all the time, but essentially in broad groups, recurrent seizures for no no apparent reason, uh, and it is a lowered threshold for that child to have seizures. So they may have an infection, so therefore the threshold falls and then they may have a seizure, or there may be a genetic reason or a a problem in the brain itself, but that will come out from the history. So as a parent, what should I look for to know if my child is having or about to have a seizure? Usually a seizure comes out of the blue. It's unexpected. Um, That's aside with the febrile convulsions, but it usually comes uh, out of the blue. The family don't know why it's happened at that particular time. 
and it's the scariest time of their lives. They see their child having a seizure and they think, number one, why is this happening? Number two, is my child going to die from this? Uh, and many a time, families are very traumatised by seeing it. Just the same as you uh, had mentioned about your child, uh, many families are traumatised and worried that their child will die. It is definitely quite scary. It might be good now to talk a little bit about some of the tests that we would do to diagnose epilepsy. What would be the first thing that you would do if you're thinking about epilepsy? The diagnosis of epilepsy is a clinical one. So an EEG does not diagnose epilepsy. An EEG, a brainwave tracing, which we'll, I'll tease out, helps work out whether the it, number one, whether it's normal or abnormal, what is the risk for future seizures, and whether the pattern on the EEG helps work out whether we need to treat or not. But in the end, the diagnosis of epilepsy is a clinical one. The other investigations are to help us um, work out what could be causing it or um, what type of epilepsy it is. It should be noted that 50% of children who do have epilepsy will have a normal EEG. So, Andrew, what you're saying is that the diagnosis is a combination of the story, what we see in the child, and what the tests tell us. But really the history, the detail of what you know the parents see or notice with the child um, is probably the most important. And getting video at the time of a seizure, although it can be incredibly hard because as a parent you're very stressed about it, but timing the seizure and getting video is incredibly helpful for us as, as doctors trying to work out what type of seizure disorder this might be. Uh, absolutely. So I think, you know, families that are listening to this podcast, uh, maybe their child hasn't had seizures, but it's one of those things that it provides information as to if something happened, what do we want to look for? Now, I can tell you that um, uh, when the child's had their first seizure, pulling out your phone and videoing yeah. it is not really something <laughs> no, that families do. Uh, but I think um, uh, it leads us into um, trying to get families uh, to look at the event, describe what has happened before, during and after a seizure, if possible, someone to actually video timing uh, the child, uh, the actual seizure, but in addition is actually making sure that the child is safe. And that's really the first aid that everyone uh, with children, in my opinion, should actually have. And so separate to that, um the video is helpful, then they, well, they, we obviously examine them very carefully and I would suggest the examination is very careful. They might get some blood tests, an EEG if that's um, appropriate and then some children even get um, some brain imaging. When would you do that? If the EEG pattern is generalised where the electrical activities are all completely from all parts of the brain, doing an MRI is not helpful. The MRI is very helpful if you're trying to work out whether it's coming from one little area, whether there's a scar or a little malformation or something like that. The EEG and the history, or actually the history and the EEG will help decide whether we need to do an MRI. 
when children come to emergency, um, often they won't get the EEG or the brain imaging at the time. So often a child will come to emergency, the parents will be educated about what to look out for, what might be causing, if there's a fever associated, a little bit about seizure disorders and first aid. And then the follow-up will usually be with a paediatrician or a paediatric neurologist who can then really work out what the next steps are. Correct. I think uh, for a family to come and have an EEG, number one, when you've got, if you've had a big seizure, a generalised seizure, if you did an EEG at that particular time, you might just see activity which is all slow. So it's not that helpful. So we typically get an EEG after a couple of weeks after the event um, and imaging, unless there is something on presentation that we're worried about, we would not be doing imaging at that stage. I think that's very helpful because a lot of parents ask about, you know, brain scans and does my child need a scan? And it's not necessarily a given that every child will get imaging. I think that's really important. Absolutely. So we'll go back to what, as a parent, you should do when your child's having a seizure. And I agree with you, Andrew. I think as a parent, everyone, it should be compulsory really to do a first aid course for so many reasons. We'll add some seizure management first aid tips in our show notes, but what are the main things you would like parents to know? Well, I think the first thing is making sure that the child is safe, okay? Putting the child in a recovery uh, position onto onto the child's side. So the reason for that is that if a child's on their back, Uh, and they vomit. Sometimes children will have a a vomit with a seizure. We don't want the vomit to go into the lungs. So putting them on their side, uh, making sure that they're safe is important. Not putting things in the child's mouth. Do not put fingers in. I have seen a family where the dad lost a finger. Do not put spoons in. You don't do any of those sorts of things. You put the child on their side, look at the child, making sure that they're not high in a bed or some other place where they could fall, putting them on the ground. And if the seizure's going for longer than five minutes, always calling for an ambulance. But if you've had, this is the first time it's happened, call for an ambulance. Say my child's having a seizure, the ambulance will uh, turn up and more often than not, the seizure would stop by itself. You don't need any medications, and it's only a small percentage where the seizure continues for a longer period of time. And so beyond that initial first aid period, once the seizure's resolved, when do you consider anti-seizure medication for kids? I know that's a big question. All right, so let's just say a child's having recurrent seizures. So we have to work out, number one, whether the seizures are prolonged, long. What do you consider prolonged? Any seizure is too long for a family, okay? (laughs) But I think uh, by definition, if the seizure is going for longer than five or ten minutes and or needs medications to stop that seizure, that, in my mind, would be a prolonged seizure. Um, I think, you know, the vast majority of children who have a seizure, it will be a minute or minute and a half. It will feel like an eternity to the family uh, and it will stop. And then there's this post-seizure, I'm not right, I'm sleepy, etc. Call for an ambulance, 
have the child assessed, it would be the way to go. Often after the seizure finishes, the parents report that the child's really drowsy, not themselves, can't really communicate. That's not necessarily part of the actual seizure. It's what we call a post-ictal or post-seizure phase, and that can actually last quite a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it can be hours before uh, they're perfectly right. Usually minutes to half an hour is the usual time. Um, But if you just think about a seizure being like an electrical lightning storm in the brain, afterwards uh, there has to be some recovery and that's that post-seizure sleepiness not being perfectly right. But once they've had their sleep, they usually just recover and it's like nothing's ever happened. So you said before, if the seizure's recurrent or prolonged, which we've now sort of established what that means, you may consider medication for the child, regular medication to prevent further seizures. Yep. So if we've made a diagnosis of epilepsy, um, we try to then define or work out what could be causing that epilepsy in that child. That will entail getting an EEG. That EEG may give us a particular pattern which we know is equal to this particular type of epilepsy. Some of those are one-off or might have one or two seizures in a year. You may not treat that child. Then you might have another group of kids where we know from the EEG or from history that they're likely to have recurrent seizures. So therefore we would be putting them on medications to reduce the risk. So if a child has one seizure, what, you know, the first the family asked me, what's the chance of it happening again? So the data uh, is that it's about 40%, okay? So that's before we've got other investigations in it, but it's 40%. So that's less than half. So we wouldn't be treating that child with medications long-term because the risk is less than uh, not treating. So and of do, course, medications yeah. have side effects and it's not something you rush into. And particularly the anti-seizure medicines can have quite um, undesirable side effects. Yeah, so there are a variety of different seizure medications. Each of them have their own side effects. Sometimes it can be behavioural problems or s- issues with sleep. Uh, or Which parents it, won't thank you yeah, for. That's right. So <laughs> I think you, it's a risk Uh, benefit type of uh, discussion that you need to have with families. Every time we do make a diagnosis of epilepsy, we talk about the options for medications um, but and really the pros and cons and talk about that with each individual family. But I do think for every child, having a seizure management plan for the child and their family is really important. Yeah, so I think uh, even the child who has their first seizure, you need to discuss the do's and don'ts uh, with the family. So I usually have a a discussion about what to do uh, with the seizure. So that's the first aid management um, and what circumstances or what things they shouldn't be doing because you don't know whether the second seizure will occur. So what I tell families is that your child's had a seizure. There's a 40% risk on average of a recurrence, but just think about the places you don't want your child if they were to have a seizure. So the first thing is not in, to be in a bathtub ever alone, okay? 
um, they can have a bath, but they need to, need be, to be supervised. supervised. By an adult, because often Correct. kids are supervised by an older sibling. I think that's a big responsibility. Good, good point. And, and swimming, children who have one seizure or have epilepsy can swim as long as they are supervised by an adult. They shouldn't be on a bicycle without a helmet. We, we are very strong about helmets. The whole point is that you can lead a normal life with one seizure or epilepsy. And I think that's really important for parents to hear because I think sometimes the diagnosis of epilepsy can be quite immobilising for parents. But as you're saying, they can do everything that other kids can do. They just need to be monitored and supervised so that if a seizure does happen, someone's there to help them. Yeah, so when I've got, uh, say, 14-year-old boys or girls presenting with their first seizure or seizures or have a diagnosis of epilepsy, the question that the the child asks is, am I going to be able to drive? And the yeah. answer is yes, uh, if you're not having seizures, okay? So there are different seizures. Let's just say if a seizure only occurs in sleep, well, actually, you can drive because you're not a, you don't drive when you're asleep. Um, but with good management and treatment, there's no reason why kids can't drive. And indeed, that's what we aim for. And I think one of the times the question always comes up is school camps, um, sleepovers. You know, it's really tempting to say, no, I need to be there to watch my child. But I think it is important they do get that independence. One of the questions I get asked all the time is, is this forever? Is my child going to grow out of their seizures or are they stuck with these? Yeah, so I guess that gets back to trying to work out what the cause of the seizures are, whether there's a, a brain problem in one little area or it's a type of epilepsy that only occurs in childhood. And the outlook for epilepsy in children is excellent. Okay, so indeed, I think um, the figures are that about 75% of children will outgrow their epilepsy. Um, it depends very much on the type and what's caused it. I keep going back to that. But 75% uh, do um, outgrow their epilepsy. And I think that's such good news for parents to hear that, you know, that it not, it's not necessarily going to be something that they're going to be dealing with forever. Andrew, thank you so much. It's been an incredibly helpful discussion. It's such an important issue for parents and it's great to understand the differences between, you know, what you talked about, those simple febrile convulsions and then potentially a diagnosis of epilepsy. Thank you very much for having me. There are many helpful resources linked in our show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and even better, share with a friend and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.